Morning. Is it a good morning? Did anybody realize it is the end of April? I mean, what has happened with this year? I mean, it has just blown by so fast. The school year is almost over. I was just um, counting with my wife and especially with my kids about how many days they have left in the school year. And we're now, uh, for Wyatt, uh, he's now in the teens. He only has... Uh, uh, I think 17, 16 days, something like that, left of school. And it just, it goes by so fast. And, and we're a really busy people, aren't we? Do you feel that way? Can, I know we don't like to raise our hands a whole lot, but how many of you, if, if somebody said, are you busy, would say, yeah, I'm pretty busy. We, we have a, a busy group of people, regardless of, the, of your age, of whether you're retired or working, whether you're in school or out of school, it seems like there are so many demands that are placed on our life. We have deadlines and schedules and calendars and appointments. There are voicemails, emails, waiting rooms and meetings. It seems like the list goes on and on. I try to not carry this with me too much, but I have one of these things and sometimes I answer it, but a lot of times it beeps at me. If it's not somebody calling me or texting me, I have schedules that I have to have in here that, that, that beep and tell me, don't forget to do this, don't forget to do that, you need to do this, and constantly this thing is beeping. I just wish the battery would stop. Sometimes I wish I had been born about 30 years earlier and I didn't have to have one of these things attached to my hip with the expectation that I always had to be busy. That's kind of the way that we are. And unfortunately, that not only goes to our personal lives, but sometimes that spills over into our spirituality, doesn't it? Sometimes we get the feeling that we always have to be busy, that we have to be doing something, that there's a call going out and we have to run to the aid. And I believe that's true, but I also believe that something has to happen before that. We all are familiar with the story of Jacob and Laban, of Laban and Rachel and Leah, aren't we? Jacob decides that he wants to marry one of Laban's daughter. Uh, her name is Rachel. And he decides that he's going to work out this deal with Laban and he's got to work seven years in order to get Rachel. Well, not, as lot is, not a lot is said about Leah, his older daughter, except that she has weak eyes. Now, you can interpret it any way that you want, but the bottom line is Jacob was working for Rachel. The marriage comes, Jacob wakes up the next morning, he opens his eyes, and he's not looking at a strong set of eyes. It's the weak set. And he goes to Laban. He says, Laban, why have you done this to me? And Laban says, well, you know, that was my oldest daughter and she needed to be married off and since you were here. And so Laban says, I got a great idea. Here's what you can do. I will go ahead and now I will give you Rachel and in return you can work for me for seven more years. Boy, Jacob probably felt that he got cheated a little bit on that deal, didn't he? Not only did he end up with the wrong wife, he ended up with two wives. And that, of course, had some issues of its own later on. But don't we feel that way sometimes? That we're just chasing and chasing and chasing 
And we're never getting where we need to go. This morning, I, I want to take a, a large uh, portion of my thoughts from a book uh, by a man named Watchman Nee. I don't, is anybody familiar with him? I don't know. Uh, he actually um, was born at the turn of the century, uh, the 20th century, uh, and he wrote several books. Uh, he he um, was a, a missionary, so to speak, uh, in, in China and did a lot of great works and, and wrote several books. As you can see, this is a thin book, so this is my kind of book. There's no pictures in it, but it's still pretty small, so it's, it's uh, certainly worth the read. The name of this book is Sit, Walk, Stand, and he's basing it off of Ephesians, and we're going to spend a little bit of time in that uh, section today. But what I want to talk about this morning is the idea of sitting. The first thing that we're called to do as Christians is to sit. Now that probably flies in the face of many of you and you say, whoa, that's not right at all. What do you mean we're supposed to sit? We don't, we don't sit, we're supposed to take up our armor and we're supposed to go fight and run and we're supposed to do these things. Yes, that happens, but first, we sit. God has called us first to sit. And why do we sit? Because... Our Christianity is not based on the things that we do, but instead it's based on the things that are already done. We sit. We sit because the victory has been won. We sit because we desperately desire to know Jesus. We sit because we understand that we are completely worthless without the foundation that Jesus has laid because of His sacrifice. And so we sit. We recognize that nothing that we can do or will ever do can in any way pay for our sins and in no way can it allow us passage to our Heavenly Father. We sit because of what He has done. I want to quickly just uh, summarize what we've read so many times in Luke chapter 15. There's three parables, lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. And I want to focus, as we always do, on the lost son. But do you notice the difference between the two sons? Remember the young one goes to his father and says, I want my share of the inheritance. His father gives it to him. He goes off into the far country and he squanders all his money on wild living and prostitutes. He realizes that he has no money. He has no friends. He has no food and says, I'd be better off being a servant in my father's house. And he begins the long walk back to his father's house. Ultimately, he makes it there. And there he sees his father. His father comes running. He hugs him and holds him and says, you're back, you're back. And he says, we have to celebrate. Get the sandals and the robe and the ring because you're in the family. You see, the son was in the family not because of what he was doing or had done, but because of what his father had done. The father welcomed him back in. And we don't like the second part of this story, but as 
as the music is playing and people are celebrating the older son out in the field hears a noise and he asks one of the servants what's going on and he says well you won't believe this your brother just got home they found him and so he calls out his dad because he says I'm not going in there look what your son did and the father basically says, he's in the family, not because of what he's done, but because of what I have done. I have chosen to love and to forgive and to redeem. It is not about what he's done. And son, you need to know, I love you and you're in my family, not because you've worked out in the field, not because what have you have done, but because what I have done. You see, the older son thought he needed to work. And the father said, what you need to do is, you need to sit. You need to recognize that you're the family. This is where our relationship with Jesus starts, is with an understanding that we have to sit. Because it will never be about what we can do, but it is about what he has done. Okay, so let's play a little trivia here. We're going to leave the New Testament for a minute. We're going to go back to the Old Testament. In fact, we're going to go back to the beginning. The very, very beginning. Okay, uh, we know the story of creation. We know that uh, in six days, God created the world. And on the seventh day, what did He do? He rested. Okay, so rest is important. He sets this up. And this is something I never thought of. And Watchman Nee brought this to my attention, and I was just amazed at this. Okay, so let's figure this out. This is going to be a hard one. What day was man created? The sixth day, right? The sixth day man was created, right? Okay, so what did God do on the seventh day? Okay, so we can count. God started creating, let there be light, day one. And he went through the days of creation. And on day seven, the seventh day, he said, we're going to rest. Where was Adam day one? Not there. Okay, day two, where was Adam? Not there. Day three? Not in attendance. Day four, we're waiting for him. Day five. Okay, we're starting to get the monkeys and some of the animals, and we still don't have them. Day six. He's here. He's created on the sixth day. What does Adam do on day seven? He rests. That's God's first job for Adam. God did all the work, one through six, He spoke, He brought it into being, He created. All of this time, God is working. Did man have to do anything days one through six? No. No, He didn't. He was created on the sixth day. The first job that God had for Adam was what? Rest. You know what He's saying through creation? He says, I did all the work. Adam. Rest. Rest in the fact that you have a God, a creator who loves you, who calls you into relationship. It's not about doing. There will be plenty of things to do. Adam would would toil in the soil. Say that three times fast. He would have an opportunity to name the animals. 
he would have an opportunity to spy at the, the fruit and decide if he wants to eat or not. There would be serpents to talk to. There would be plants that needed to be taken care of. But the first day, God said, rest. How many of you would love to have that in your life? How many of you, I'm looking into the eyes of some of you who are just bewildered. I remember talking to Jennifer several years ago when we had two children and she wanted a third. And all I said was, Jennifer, we had several friends in Sweetwater who had um, three kids. And I said, Jennifer, look into their eyes. You know what that, you know what their eyes say? They say we're outnumbered. They say we're overwhelmed. And God in his infinite wisdom and love and humor gave us Gracie. But there are mornings that I look into the mirror and my eyes say, we're outnumbered. (laughs) But God calls us to rest. First, it was day seven for him. It was day one for Adam. His call for each one of us is, I have created, I have sustained, I have redeemed. You rest. There will be plenty of days, but what needs to come first is an understanding that there will be nothing that you will ever be able to do that will make up for your lostness and your brokenness. But I have taken care of it. I'm the Redeemer. I'm the Savior. Not your schedule, not your list, not your Bible class attendance, not how nice you are to anyone. I am the one who redeems. Your walking, your work will be a response to what I have done. But right now what I want you to do is I just want you to sit. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. I want to read the first 10 verses. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me there. We're going to spend just a few moments in this. Uh, And as you're turning there, I'm going to be reading. What I want you to be thinking about, if you would, is I want you to be paying special attention to the tense, T-E-N-S-E, the tense that Paul is using as he is writing this, as he is describing that we are being made alive in Christ. We're going to start in verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 2. This is the word of the Lord. As for you, you were dead. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air and the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But, because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. 
It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith and not And this not from yourselves, it is a gift from God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are created, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, with which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see where Paul started with this? As he's speaking to the church in Ephesus, a a church that uh, he was greatly acquainted to, that he knew well, he didn't start with their deeds. He didn't start with the good things that they were doing or had done. He goes back and he says, okay, here's the deal. You were dead. You had no hope. Okay, what can a dead man do? Nothing. And I will take this moment to share with you one of my very favorite, apart from my very favorite movies, The Princess Bride. I love The Princess Bride. There's a scene in which there's Miracle Max uh, played by Billy Crystal. Uh, He's this really old, uh, bitter uh, magic worker, miracle worker, and they bring in this guy who has died. Okay, And he's laying out on the table, and the guys want to bring him back to life. Okay? Uh, and, and Billy Crystal, his character, Miracle Max, says he's only mostly dead. And they say, what do you mean mostly dead? He says there's a difference between mostly dead and all dead. He says if you're mostly dead, you're partially alive. He says, but if you're all dead, there's only one thing you can do. Go through his pockets and look for loose change. If you're all dead... If you have died, there is nothing left that you can do. There's no hope. It's over. No heartbeat. Nobody can resuscitate you. You are dead. You've been pronounced. And in fact, not only have you died, but from Scripture, that analogy is taken even further, and you have been buried. Okay? You have been buried. There is no more hope. You can't do anything else. And this is where Paul starts. And the reason why he starts here is because he wants the church in Ephesus, he wants the believers to know that you can't do it. You didn't do it. You died to your sins. You're dead. You've been buried. He says in Galatians chapter 2, you have been crucified with Christ and you don't live anymore. He's saying that you can do nothing. But, Jesus has already done it. Six days God created, on the seventh day He rested. It was three days in which Jesus was dead in the grave. And we celebrate that next day. You see, we were dead in our sins, in our transgressions. We had no hope. But Jesus, because of His sacrifice, 
brought us back. I want to read a, a, a short paragraph from this book. The first chapter, of course, is entitled Sit. It says, most Christians make the mistake of trying to walk in order to be able to sit. But that is a reversal of the true order. Which, by the way, that's the correct order in life, isn't it? If you want to go on vacation, you have to save up your days and your money. If you want to retire, you have to put in your hours at work. If you want to do all these things first, there has to be these logical steps that lead up to it. And and God says, we're going to do it in reverse order. That I'm going to offer you something that you don't deserve and haven't earned. I'm going to give it to you first. Our natural reason says, if we do not walk, how can we ever reach the goal What can we attain without effort? How can we get anywhere if we do not move? But Christianity is a strange business for sure. If at the outset we try to do anything, we get nothing. If we seek to attain something, we miss everything. For Christianity begins not with a big do, but with a big done. How about that? Our Christian walk does not begin with a list of things that we need to do, but rather what Jesus has already done. And so this morning, as I close out, I want to ask you to do this. I want to ask you to focus on the past. We spend a lot of time with the future, don't we? talking about heaven and we're focusing on that but this morning what I want you to do is I want you to focus on the past that sounds kind of awkward doesn't it seems to go against what we would read even in the Bible but I don't want you to focus on your past I want you to focus on his you see Jesus chose to leave heaven and come down to earth. He chose to live among men. He chose to teach. He chose to love. He chose to forgive. He chose to be beaten. He chose to to die. He chose to be spat upon. He chose that. And His last words were this. It is finished. It's done. The rat race is not for us. There's nothing we can accomplish outside of Jesus and there's nothing that we can do beyond it. He says, come to me. All of you who are weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In lives that are full and are busy and overwhelming, and for those of us who have created a checklist for our Christianity, before you try to check anything off, first do this. Sit. Kneel. Recognize that it's nothing that you can do to earn salvation. 
It's already done. Let's praise God that He has already finished what we would ever dare wanting to start. He paid the price. And so today, let's just sit. Doesn't that sound nice? This week, just sit. Maybe if your calendar is really full, maybe scratch something out and right beside it, sit. Let's recognize that what we have in this world is nothing compared to what He has promised. But all of the good things that we have, they come from a God who has already done it for us. And so, let's celebrate. Let's sit. And let's give thanks. It sounds kind of awkward, but I'm going to ask you to stand now. (laughs) But even as you're standing... Let's remember what Jesus has done for us through His sacrifice. Let's stand and sing.